it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week on Beer is a Conversation, we meet BrewDog's new Australian GM, Ed Bott. When BrewDog recently announced its Australian equity crowdfund, I was surprised to see a new name, Ed's, in the media release. It seemed to be a very un-BrewDog thing to do, not announcing a key hire. Jumping online to find out a little bit more about the new GM, I was surprised to learn that such a senior hire for the Scottish brewery was an Australian who had previously been general manager of BrewDog Germany. With BrewDog being an endlessly fascinating case study on the evolution and state of the beer market, I wanted to find out a little bit more about this mystery man and assumed that our listeners would too. As you'll see, Ed is very different to the public persona of the brewery that he represents, which is perhaps why there hasn't been more made of his arrival in Australia. But we have a great chat about a wide variety of BrewDog topics and also about craft beer in Germany. And we get a little insight into the man himself. I'll say up front, we don't spend too much time on the current equity crowdfunding campaign. I'm still hopeful that we'll be able to chat with either Martin or James about that and figured they were best placed to go into detail. In the meantime, here are two Australian accents talking about a Scottish brewery. Ed Bott, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's uh, a nice day to be here. <laughs> Mate, judging by the chat we've had before the mic started, this is going to, there's going to be a lot of uh, a wide-ranging chat. Hope you've got a bit of time because uh, it could <laughs> well, take a while. <laughs> it's a good thing about not having the old CD90 tapes. We don't have to worry about it. Um, but, mate, the, the very first question is, you know, I, I suddenly realised that there was this person called Ed Bott the general manager in Australia? Is that the correct title? Uh, that, that's, that, yes, I don't like that title. General manager is much better. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we, we saw the, the, the recent announcement of the equity for punks, because I'd spoken to Calvin um, uh, previously, and so there was no big fanfare that we come to expect with BrewDog. Um, and, I, and I was fascinated when I went looking that, you know, I, I think the first thing I found when I was Googling you was a video of you in Berlin talking about <laughs> BrewDog. And so maybe you can sort of bring us up to speed on how an Aussie drawl came to supplant a Scottish uh, brogue in Germany of all <laughs> yeah. places. Yeah, it's quite random. I'm originally from Australia, of course. I, uh, I'm fairly new to the beer industry. I've only been working in beer probably for eight years. Originally from Albury-Wodonga region, Riverina. My brother's a farmer, my dad's a farmer. That's the business. I was the black sheep left and went and studied down in Melbourne. And uh, then originally first job worked for Adidas uh, in marketing. So nothing to do with beer. Love sport. Um, And then decided to kind of like, I need to go to Europe like every Australian does. And uh, moved to to the UK. Stumbled upon a job with Paramount Pictures, working in distribution of film and marketing of film releases and ended up in Los Angeles for a period. So a real real nomad, really. Just kind of went where, where, you know, what seemed interesting, basically. And... um, had a German girlfriend for a while, learned a bit of German, as often is the case, then you're like, okay, I would really like to learn this language, so I looked for a job in Germany, and I um, found one with Anheuser-Busch InBev, um, who were who ABI at the time in, in, in Germany, and uh, with Bex, so managing the brand internationally, um, so not just Germany, but internationally, because that's the home in Bremen. 
and moved there and uh, lived and lived in Bremen for six months, then moved to Hamburg and then eight years basically in Germany. And so I moved to a totally new industry, a language which I couldn't really speak very well, to be perfectly honest, um, a culture which I probably misunder underestimated uh, okay. a little bit before I moved there and that was a real that was the best uh, six months of learning in my life probably was moving to a country where I maybe underestimated my ability a little bit or, <laughs> or sorry overestimated my, my ability a little bit is a better way of putting it and um, and yeah and then working on Bex learnt the commercial side of beer didn't learn much about beer if I'm perfectly frank in that time uh, but uh, the commercial aspect of beer in terms of ABI is as strong as they are commercially and uh, then quit to go kind of find a company that maybe fitted me a little bit more culturally. I wanted to get out of the corporate side of things and something a little bit more young and start up. Um, and uh, found that Brewdog was looking for someone in Germany, and that's about 2017. Okay. Um, and I was lucky enough to get the job, and it was originally just kind of managing distributors. And um, that all changed when, when Brewdog then um, uh, purchased the brew from Stone in Berlin and, and then was basically managing our route to market uh, sales piece in Germany in terms of the entire operation so yeah um, and then just returned to Australia in November um, I was a personal decision I wanted to come back after 14 years of being away and are you still with the German girlfriend I should ask I, I, yes 100% okay. so she's, she's joined me with joined with me and uh, Lisa is her name and I'm very lucky that she came across a difficult time to come across yeah uh, but uh, yeah we feel incredibly lucky to be here and, and for me to come across to the Brewdog operation in Australia is Genuine dream. Um, love the company. Uh, the operation here is just at the start of its journey. Um, Calvin and Lindsay have done an incredible job to get through a difficult year last year um, and to get the brewery where it is now. And the tap room is, uh, it's almost a luxury for me. Uh, in Germany, in German, they would say a luxus, a luxus problem is uh, <laughs> basically trying to take a business which is in a good place to the next level. So, yeah, no, that's my background. Okay. So, again, I mean, there's a lot about Adidas and things that I, I loved, and we, we might come back to that. But talk to me about what it was like working for ABI for Bex in Germany. Um, yeah. You know, a, a major um, lager brand in a country that really reveres beer. A fascinating experience. I didn't know really much about German beer or even beer in general when I joined ABI. Um, so uh, the Bex Brewery in, in Bremen is 140, 150 years old. Um, and the brewery there on the river, incredible location. They bring, they're still bringing the malt in on boats and... Um, and it was a huge operation. I didn't quite understand how big it really was, and I didn't really know who ABI was, to be honest, either. And that, the first impression I had was a bit of shock. Uh, I was kind of, um, I'd come from a, the film, in, film industry, which is a little bit laissez-faire, <laughs> to this very hard-nosed FMCG environment, to you know, zero-based budgeting, which is famous, ABI is famous for, to... Um, so what's, just explain that to me. Uh, zero-based budgeting. Yep. Um, so that's basically the end of each year, you have to provide a new budget for what you want to do next year. It doesn't roll over. Okay. So you, if you had, say, let's say 10 million this year, you don't automatically get 10 million next year. You've basically got to argue what you need and then they almost like trading horses a little bit decide who gets what. Okay. Um, so there's no promise you'll have what you had last year. So zero based every year again. Wow. And go from okay. There. So very tight cost management, incredibly tight cost management. And that kind of was a different world to the, the film industry. And that shocked me first and foremost was the ABI world. Then the other part was the just the German business culture. Um, I uh, a very different way, very formal, a um, lot more formal than I imagined. A very masculine from Australia, yeah, particularly. It was good learning, and look, I, I've learnt 
more about myself by doing that than anything else in my life. I've become a lot more organised as a result of it. Um, <laughs> and I respect, I think, uh, international cultures a lot more and, and try to listen a lot more than probably what I w- would have in the past. And, uh, and that was a six-month, that period of going into meetings in Germany and learning how the German business culture works. Um, yeah, it was probably a good six to 12 months before I realised uh, how, how I fitted into it and what I could bring to the table. So I didn't really do much work in the first 12 months. I just learned, basically. Yeah. And what was it like uh, stepping out of ABI to BrewDog, having, uh, you know, you know and it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because um, I'm sort of bringing my own uh, perception to it, is that Bex is their international beer brand. It's not really a, a huge domestic brand, is it? Or? It's, it does half and half, basically. It does 2.5 million hectolitres in Germany and uh, 2.5 million hectolitres internationally. Okay. Uh, but declining. It's not the focus brand anymore for ABI. Um, and uh, it's kind of the forgotten brand, a little bit of those headliner brands that they had. But going from ABI to, to BrewDog was... Yeah, the first first thing I had to adapt to was like talking about hectolitres in terms of being in the millions and hundreds, <laughs> and hundreds of thousands to talking about, you know, a couple of hundred hectolitres. numbers and trying to work okay. out whether you have to add a couple of zeros yeah, or uh, take uh, off a couple it, of zeros. It was, it was a, real co- a real shock. Uh, and even now when I talk to some ABI people in Germany about what we're selling, what BrewDog's selling in Germany, for example, they'll be like, is that all? Um, <laughs> and I'll be like, you don't realise that's a huge amount um, yeah. uh, for, for, for a small startup brewery. Um, and so it was really first and foremost adapting the mindset of the scale and what I love about craft and what I love about BrewDog is that um, in Germany for example I had to learn everything so in, in ABI I was siloed in, in marketing and a little bit of sales with BrewDog I did everything so from marketing to sales to actual going to supermarkets and selling to the shop owner of a supermarket to working in the brewery, um, logistics, delivering kegs, going to events and festivals on the weekends, literally doing everything um, uh, in the craft sense. And that you, you learn a lot more about management and yourself and, and others and relationships than you do being a traditional FMCG silo yep. structure. Um, and I feel grateful for that. Yeah. And what was that like? My, my first experience, I haven't spent nearly as much time in Germany and parts of Europe as I, as I would like to um, because of the tyranny of distance. Yeah, of course. Um, but... You know, in 2016, I spent a bit of time there, and I went to Weinstefan. I went to a number of breweries, and Beautiful. Yeah. there was oh, incredibly lucky. Yeah. But then you, you speak to brewmasters, and you know they were very dismissive of craft beer. You know, this idea of craft beer and the, yeah. the amount of hops, and you yeah. know, there, there's such strong traditions, but there's also such an embedded beer culture in in Germany as well. Yeah. Um, it, what was it like turning up to, you know? Shop uh, shops and trying to sell Brewdog beer to, to shopkeepers. Incredibly difficult. Probably the most difficult thing I've tried to do in business was selling um, craft beer, so hoppy IPAs and parallels to a uh, 70% Pilsner market. Um, and it, it's it's slowly gaining traction now in Germany, uh, craft beer, but it, the, perspective, the perspective I have is it's a very traditional beer culture it's so ingrained in the psyche of germans it's part of who they are they always talk about we're the country of beer and sausages and and you know meats and stuff like that and uh very low tax it's one of the biggest industries in terms of employment every local town has its brewery like its football team and you support the brewery and you support the football team and then this to have a Scottish brewery come in or even a young brewery that's based in Germany to come in with these very different styles of beer in, compared to a Pilsner or a Helles or a Weizen, um, that's something which initially is like, we don't want it, it's too expensive, price plays a big role. Yeah. Um, or no one's going to like that. 
it comes from the, the perspective of negative and this is a sort of a mindset that which I saw in Germany whereas what I love about Australia is I feel like people will like come from a more positive open-minded mindset mm. there's a bit of character there whereas Germany is more like we they would say in German we have this immer macht and that just means we've always done it that way and and breaking well, and breaking that was so to difficult. Eskimos yeah. were saying we're making better ice that's a lot more expensive. And you couldn't you couldn't really say better because their beers are great. Like yeah. like like honestly, and and this is probably one of the greatest reasons reasons why craft beer hasn't caught on in Germany like it has elsewhere. Is the starting point of beer was very good, um, and yet it's so cheap, incredibly cheap because they're a volume driven market. So you've got these private breweries. Kombacher, um, Bitburger, Warsteiner, um, all owned by families, basically, or one person sometimes. And they don't have much of an export business, a lot of them. Uh, they, it's really just Germany, the inland consumption. And so when, when it's so highly competitive uh, and they're not so worried about, well, they don't have a shareholder to report to, it's pretty much them, yep. it becomes almost a matter of pride maintaining volume and market share. So there really is a very heavily price-driven market to keep market share. And pricing has not increased much over the last 30 years. Um, which So you can buy a crate of 24 bottles of, let's say, Bitburger or, or, or Kronbacher, the biggest pilsner in Germany. You can buy a crate of 24 bottles, 330 mil, um, for... 10, 11 euros. Yep. Um, and uh, I was horrified by that, that, that the, the, the value of what goes into that, I don't think consumers really understood because the breweries have kept on, they've been fighting on price for so long, they haven't actually taken the, the value perception of beer to where it should be, um, which makes it even more difficult for craft to break through. There's a lot in that. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I'm always fascinated. I, I love the history of beer. And you yeah. know, on one hand, you know, wine... And I get in trouble for saying this, but it's so easy to make. You stand on a bucket of grapes <laughs> and it'll ferment. And yeah. then, you know, we've, we've been drinking wine since we were monkeys 10 million years ago. Mm. The fruit would fall from the tree and ferment. And we had to be sophisticated enough to actually harness the process of malting mm. um, in some way and, you know, to even discover that yep. grains could ferment. But once we did that, we could make beer every day. And, mm. you know, and yet you can still only make wine once a year. Yep. Um, technically, because you only have you can't store grapes, harvest, yeah. um, and there is something about that that makes beer so incredibly important to us, but then also so jejun, like so so every day, yeah, yeah, that we really underestimate its importance, which is a wonderful thing about yeah. it, and, and that's sort of what I hear you saying that beer is just so commonplace in Germany that it it's is. very hard to then. Yeah. Tell them that there's something better. And, and, and there's some incredible breweries that are doing incredible beers. Like Eyinger, um in Bavaria, one of my favourite breweries in the entire world. Their lagers are almost the best I've ever had. Mm. Um, and uh, Weizens, you, you really taste better Weizens than the Weizens you get in Bavaria. Um, same with Helles as well. Um, so they're starting from a very good starting point. And I, I feel like the, the Germans probably haven't learnt how lucky they are first and foremost and the value of that beer um, because mainly because the breweries at fault is that they haven't because they're competing on volume they always are fighting on price and so so inflation and pricing hasn't increased over time to give that 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 value perception of beer which it deserves and uh, so I feel like standing start brew dog coming in with let's say a four pack of, of punk for five euros which is actually quite cheap and probably in our eyes here in Australia that is then almost double the price of a six pack of pills uh, and to get people in that journey to say why don't you buy less beer for almost double the price what you'd have for a six pack it just it takes a lot of convincing and a lot of time um, and a lot of uh, patience and that's Germany 
Was that a mistake that, uh, you know, Greg Cook famously um, turned up in Germany, sort of had a big ceremony where he smashed these cheap fizzy lagers? Yeah, it's quite famous in the beer industry in Germany, that, that yeah, incident, yeah. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I don't want you to sort of criti- you know, criticise another brewery or anything like Definitely that, but wouldn't. was <laughs> from, from, a, from a technique, you know, what was that a really good way to get the Germans offside? From the very beginning, uh, I think I think Greg himself has admitted that probably wasn't the best start. Um, and uh, yeah, when you when you symbolically drop a rock on beers which have uh, got 140 years history and love and passion and, and equity from local consumers in Germany, uh, that that is automatically going to put people offside 100. So I think I think when when if Greg had his time again, I think he would have probably done a few things differently in Germany. But you have to, if a market like Germany, you have to come in and like a market like Australia, like almost any market. You've got to come in and respect what's been done before you. Um, and uh, even if it is potentially not owned by independent breweries, even if it's owned by big breweries, they've built a healthy, thriving industry um, and uh, engage consumers. And, and I see Brewdog as a brand that when we do enter a market like Australia or America, we're, com- we're coming there to help take it to the next level with the rest of the breweries as well um, and uh, and you've got to, you've got to doff your cap to the past because it's like beer's been around for thousands of years and you know uh, it's not it's not a story that started now and how I mean how hard is it because I, I am really fascinated by the story of brands and yeah. you know like I, I look at Foster's you know which was actually drunk in Australia once and then they tried to take it to the yeah. world and in doing so and, and I, I'm still haven't come up with a perfect answer for why that is but it's almost you know there was a cultural cringe to represent Australians internationally you had the the hoax which we loved that but we didn't want to identify with yep, it yep. we loved that other people loved it but there was that little bit of yeah, cringe yeah. Um, and you know it, it's, it's very hard to take something that is purely of one culture and take it to another culture in in an undiluted form yeah um, that also resonates with the home culture. Yeah, 100%. Unless, unless, unless something like Foster's is a good example, in the 80s and 90s it represented Australia. That's the Australian beer. So that was the marketing. And yeah. even in the UK now, you still see the beer marketed as an Australian beer, even though it's owned by Heineken in the UK. Um, it, 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 but it's difficult if you want to then have something that is then um, more than just that essence of Australia. You know what I mean? So uh, a brand like Foster's, I think, were in, it probably for us was a bit cringy during the 90s and uh, 2000s. I believe they're bringing it back to Australia at some point. They're time. trying to. They're yeah. trying to. Well, I think they're trying to get a little bit of that retro Which is the retro, that's, yeah. that's 100% yeah. retro hipster uh, play, which, you know, I respect because there's, there's probably demand for that. Huh? Absolutely. Um, but in terms of global brands, no brand is no brand stands still, um, and no brand is owned by the by the company. Every brand is owned by the consumer, and uh, consumers change and generations bring new ideas. Um, you often don't drink what your father drank or your mother drank, but um, you do what your grandfather drank because it, that that suddenly seems cool again. Exactly. So it's somehow in human nature that we, we we evolve every every generation slightly different, and as a result, brands change with every generation as well. And there's very few in the beer industry that probably have um, yeah grown consistently over time with every generation because even a brand like BrewDog probably in one generation will be very uncool. Uh, it's just, that's the nature of consumers owning brands. Well, and that was the other thing about BrewDog. It, it, it obviously came from Scotland, but it was never Haggis and Jimmy Caps and... We've avoided I, that like the play. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah but, but that was yeah. from day one. It yeah. wasn't a, a yeah. reinvention. And yeah. it, it always seemed to have... Craft beer was... Um, American and they seem to draw a lot of inspiration from 100%. the West Coast yep. US and yep. always wanted to seem to have resonate with that audience and it has that been something that has stood BrewDog in good stead 
going international? Ah, oh, look, that's that's something probably more for James and, and Martin to ask. I'd say, but I, the, my my perception is that. Um, if you go down the identity, national identity path, it's very narrow. Um, and uh, I feel like BrewDog has tried to... We've evolved. We originally... We, we say ourselves internally, you know, we were originally uh, an anarchist brand, is in here to really shake up the industry and, and you know... Um, which has universal appeal. Yeah, exactly. And that was right back at the start, which you know, sounds like I'm talking about a 100-year company. We're talking like <laughs> you know, 10 years yeah. ago. It's, uh, and then the middle age of BrewDog um, it was the rebel, you know, with, with kind of like the punk attitude of like, you know, we, we're, not, we don't, uh, we're not here to destroy things. We're more kind of here to like, you know, protest against things, a certain <laughs> yeah. thing. And then now we see ourselves as the mavericks, as in rather than maybe thinking about things in a negative way or against stuff, actually for stuff. Yep. So that, that journey of the brand evolving probably has also to do with generational change as well in terms of consumers. Um, back in the 2000s, consumers were probably a little bit uh, less aware of things like um, the environment or even things like diversity than we are now, um, uh, which is great that, that these topics are becoming more and more relevant. But even there, there's a generational divide in how important, um, and, and, and we, we see the, the fault yeah. lines um, do seem before with, you know, yeah. um, the, the boomer, like the, yep. the whole OK boomer yeah, yeah. is because a lot of the things that millennials, for want of a better um, term, value He's almost frowned upon or sneered on or fought against by there's boomers. That, there's, that com- there's that conflict between the generations a little bit, um, which I think happens every 10 to 20 years to a certain degree. I mean, of course, you had, uh, you know, um, the 60s, the swinging 60s, and uh, they were the baby boomers. They were kind of against their, pa- their parents or generations from the war previously. So it does happen. I think we're seeing that now. It's nothing new. Um, but with BrewDog, in, in terms of the framing of BrewDog of the last 13, 14 years, we're in that phase now where we recognise that you can't be against things all the time. You've got to be a positive, forward-thinking company and, and try and build something which is good for people around you, the people who work for you, but your, your customers and partners as well, hopefully, but also the broader community which you exist in because no, no business is an island. We all benefit from taxpayers' money for the roads um, and you need to respect that. And, and that's something which I think Martin and James have evolved and grown up they're actually even younger than me, to be honest, uh, and and so I think they themselves have gone from a journey from almost teenagers to, you know, middle age almost now. So with that changes, you know, perceptions and and, and the brand itself. So um, we're in a we're in a really uh, interesting phase now. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Well, going back to that internationalisation and how you do it, when you took you you were involved in the early stages of Brewdog um, taking over Stone. Um, in, in Berlin? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't involved in the deal, um, but uh, definitely as soon as James told me that we had a brewery in Berlin, um, he's like, okay, uh, good for Brexit. And he says it's just for Germany. Yeah. <laughs> but I think now with Brexit, uh, not a bad thing to have, uh, 100%. But tell me about you know, in going into such a, a strong, proud culture generally, yep. but then also uh, such a really strong and traditional beer culture what changes were made to the BrewDog brand or what, what, what concessions were made to ensure that you were accepted? Um, yeah, by I mean, really simple stuff. Um, route to market in Germany is returnable bottles. Uh, if you don't do returnable bottles, then you can pretty much forget any major volume in Germany. So we immediately started filling returnable bottles, which something... Did Stone do that? Stone didn't do that. Oh, really? They were were just just cans, which is admirable because cans is better packaging, in my opinion. But um, 
if the consumer acceptance is, is returnable bottles, so buying bottles of the supermarket and returnable crates, taking it home and consuming it, taking it back to the supermarket, getting your deposit back, if that's but what that's they do, habit, yeah. that's what they do, then you've got to go with that. You can't try and change that. Um, so we noticed there were a lot of things that we couldn't change, so we had to participate with. So that's one thing. Um, beer styles, which are easily accessible. Um, so we obviously had punk, um, which is an accessible IPA. Uh, we have Brudel Parallel, which is... It's interesting to hear you say that because that obviously wasn't the narrative at the start when the... First, 100%. Yeah. But, that, that's, but it is 70% of our total volume globally, yeah. I think. And, and, the, and the reason it is is because we recognise that... Um, you know, the 90% of the world drinks lager and, um, uh, and that's all they really drink. Uh, and if you, want to try to, if you want to try to appeal to that, um, expand craft and expand people's taste, you need to make your headliners, your main beers, accessible to them. Yeah. Uh, and I think James and Martin recognised that fairly early and, yep. and that's why Brewdog or Punk is, is a good example. Brewdog Pale Ale is even, even milder. Yep. Um, so for the German taste buds, that was probably our go-to accessible beer. But we've also done a Hellas... Um, and we're introducing a Pilsner now as well, and they're really just kind of the holding the hand to the brand. Uh, as in, if you like your Hellas, you like your Pilsner, then here's our version of it. Uh, and if you like that, maybe you also might like these other styles of beer. So it's building those bridges, which I think Stone didn't really... They did it a bit later, but probably by the time it was a bit too late in their journey in Germany. So we did that straight away. Uh, and then on top of that, then also... Our communication was all in German, which was a little bit different to Stone. It was mostly English. We, quite, we really tried to make ourselves a German version of BrewDog. Uh, How about the menu? Because I, I was lucky enough, when BrewDog Brisbane was opening, I was actually in yeah. BrewDog Berlin, and I was incredibly impressed with the, the, the venue and oh, so much of the detail Stone about it. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah, but, but also just even the, the, the little ways that have been yeah. um, tweaked um, by BrewDog. But then also, if you go to a any um like if you go to a, a munich tavern or you know they will have the same food as you have it like yeah. it's probably like a counter lunch in in australia or if you go to somewhere in melbourne yeah. they'll always have parmesan parmesan yeah. um and it was one place that was distinct like it, there was a different menu than you would get anywhere but there was still some concessions to to, to local tastes yeah. as well and for that exact same reason i mentioned in terms of beer is that we know that we to go to, to go to a place like germany and say here's our offering without uh thinking okay what might people want um it's just smarter to try and offer a few things at least for those people who like what they've always had um like i said before the happiness in the we've always done it that way if you kind of put some things in there that match to that attitude of we've always done it this way then at least you can maybe take them on a journey towards your brand where you kind of want them to go um and that's what we've done in germany and how about here? Like we're sitting in Brudog, Brisbane, which is a you know, very successful uh, venue. But at the same time, oh, yeah. when it opened, and, and not being critical, but there were elements of it that it was a venue that was opening in a subtropical climate, designed <laughs> by people who had obviously never spent a summer in a subtropical climate. Yeah, um, and that's a good example of just Brudog um, doing things from Scotland, um, how they how they've always done it to a certain degree, and then maybe not doing it perfectly and then learning and changing and adapting. We're trying to do that now. So the great thing is we've got a great team here with Calvin. You've yep. met Calvin already um, with Lindsay, our brewer, um, the team we have around us. And we're just starting to build that now. We, and we'll start to build a sales team as well in the next few weeks um, externally. But the and idea should is... Should people start selling? Sending, we, we have a lot of people. Uh, uh, there's something actually I was going to say to you. We, we definitely gonna, If anyone's interested in doing sales in southeast Queensland <laughs> for us, please come and see me at the brewery. But I'll leave it there. Um, but yeah, but we've realised now that like Shay outside simple stuff like you have to have it uh, here and it's taken um, this is what I love about BrewDog it's taken the mistake 
we learn from it and then change it. And that's often what we'll do. We'll make a mistake for better or for worse and then we'll learn from it and improve it. And we're about to put some, sh- some shading up now outside. And would would you build the fire pits again? God, no. <laughs> no, definitely not. It looked, they looked nice. But they, they looked fantastic and they looked fantastic on, yeah, on the plan. Yeah. And I, I think we had a bit of fun at yeah. BrewDog's expense when the oh, concept um, was first yeah. released, yeah. these fire pits. And yeah. uh, I think they came in very handy for the midges um, on sunset yeah. that come up from the river. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I wouldn't imagine they get a workout for what they're intended well, for. I haven't been here in winter yet, so I'll let okay. you know in winter. But, um, but no, with the, the plans we have for this place, um, it look it right now... We have to recognise that Australia is incredibly lucky in the position the country is in right now in terms of the global COVID scenario. Yep. And this, this this little world of BrewDog right now, which is the smallest part of the BrewDog world, the Australian world at the moment, um, is actually doing the best in terms of the bar. We're the, pretty much the only bar open in the entire world right now. So we try not to talk too much about you know how good things are here in, in, in our business, but we are very happy with how things have gone so far for us here um overwhelmed with the support we've had in brisbane the number of people coming here the good feedback we've had to the point now that we will expand this site we're going to um uh in the next 12 to 18 months we're still working out plans probably put on a front facing terrace upstairs level shading seating maybe also install a function room at the back for private events and just really expand our footprint because we know that, that there is enough community here and demand for that um, hotel, we, we've, I've seen the plans, we're going to do it. Um, do you know where? Or literally across. Oh, the, okay, so it's going to be right literally next door. A, okay. um, So uh, that's not a typical BrewDog hype. That will come, uh, unless, of course, we have some problems with planning permission, which can always happen. But um, uh, Obviously, you've said that on mic, but is, is, <laughs> is that story worthy? Like, can, Are you happy for us to do a story on that? No, I mean, we, uh, I mean the hotel is going to come. That's 100% right. But it's more kind of, uh, we're thinking probably, it's not going to happen this year. It's more in the next... Uh, probably 2022 we're hopeful yep. we might have something then so we've seen the plans but if you know things can go awry awry um with everything like brewdog we're looking at bar sites as well um a site in sydney a site in brisbane um melbourne we have a couple of sites we're not so sure about perth we'd like a site as well so all those things are coming and i know from you've reported on it bruce news and i know there's probably a lot of listeners we probably look at brewdog with a little bit of cynicism in terms of overhyped under deliver kind of perception to a certain degree but i think my perception on BrewDog is after two years of working in Germany is we, we always have a bit of a slow start and then the wheels start moving and then things move really quickly. Uh, and Again, like I, would, I would hate to feel that I'd contributed to the um, impression that they'd under-delivered because yes. I don't think that's ever yeah. been... Okay. Um, you know, certainly sometimes the, the hype or the announcement is well ahead of the... Of course. ...execution. Yeah. But, I, yeah, I, 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 hopefully I haven't contributed No, no, to no, it's... it's uh, it's it's just for me. Um, it, it's not just here. It, it, elsewhere, a lot of people feel like Brewdog obviously has, is, is very loud. It's also why the reason why the Brewdog is, brand is probably so Absolutely, well known. Yeah. And, um, we're quite proud of being loud. Um, we probably always will be loud. Hopefully, more in a positive sense than a negative sense, as I talked about before, yep. in terms of supporting and sustainability and those things. Um, but the good news is in Australia is that we're re- genuinely at the absolute starting point on the snakes and ladders board. There will be snakes. There will be ladders along the way. Um, but uh, yeah, with the plans that we have, the Cal and I have been putting together and working with James and Martin and Lindsay with we, we hope in the next two years to at least have three to four bars open nationally uh, and definitely the hotel open and also this site the brewery uh, tap room expanded as well yeah yeah one of the things like I, I regularly come here I sort of sneak in never sort of yeah. announce because I, I, I love to just have that 
look um, when you're not getting the guided tour. Yeah, of course. And I'm always really impressed when you come in on a Saturday. Like I've been in and you've sort of seen the cricket team who's sort of come up yeah, from the local yeah. and the dads are having a, a, a zero alcohol beer and the kids are having a lunch and, you know, the, the number of dogs here on weekends that it's obviously, even though there's not a residential, um, you're not in a residential suburb, yep. you've become a community for a lot of the people around here. That, that is our absolute top objective always in opening a brewery in a, in a country. Uh, we've done that exactly that in Ohio. We, um, we've built the brand to be very much Columbus, Ohio focus. Uh, the brewery engages with the local football teams um, and we're very close to the local community. We have a lot of equity for punk shareholders in, in Ohio in that little region as well. We're now the biggest craft brewery in Ohio as well um, in terms of volume and that's come through that community commitment and, and we, we want to really focus on the Brisbane region, southeast Queensland, but of course Murray in the, our doorstep right here. Um, great community and, and um, to have support of that community and to build that support over a long period of time, that's got to be our top mission because without your local footprint without your local community you're nothing in beer and uh, we used to say that they used to, actually literally used to say that in germany in Bex, they used to say beer braucht heimat and that means beer needs a home okay and um and even though brewdog does come from scotland our home is here brisbane and that need, and we need that home to support us and we all support it as well and that's very key well how have you tweaked the beers to be australian or you know in a country so big it's even yeah. hard to say that there is one australian palate as well a hundred and, and look and that's the other thing that i've been incredibly uh, positively surprised about coming back to australia and not having much knowledge of the australian craft beer community um is just how rich it is and how diverse and how advanced the beers are I, honestly the beers coming out of australia from some craft breweries here is is on a level that's above i think most european craft breweries so Hat off to the Australian community. It's gone so quickly, so fast. Um, and that's obviously come through consumer support, uh, which is a great sign for the health of the industry in the future as well. For us, in terms of our beers, um, we've started with our traditional Scottish beers and we've maybe couple of beers we've gone down to mid-strength to try and hit that 3.5 yep. mid-strength kind of Which palate. Particularly in Brisbane. In Brisbane kind of need, yeah. We, um, we, we, our biggest selling beer on the menu is actually Lost Lager. Um, so Lost Lager is our 4.7% Pilsner. Uh, we think that's because it's got the word lager in the title mostly <laughs> uh, and that's why people probably consume it but that's okay. Um, we probably have a few lower strength lagers coming and we're looking, we've got an XBA on the, on the, on the menu as well which Lindsay's um, knocked up which is, we think is incredible. Um, is XBA an international style or is uh, it? Look, it, it, my understanding of XBA is that it originally started in America and Australia has taken it, almost ownership of it basically. Yeah. Um, it's not something you see anywhere in Europe. Um, it's really something which I only ever first started noticing when I came back to visit my family in Australia while working in craft beer in, in Germany and kind of always looking at the shelves of Dan's and BWS and the independents kind of saying what beers are here and the style I noticed of course was XBA, Pacific Ale, which is of course a style which has been you know, uh, born out of stone and wood and they're incredible um, story uh, so yeah there are certain nuances of the Australian beer community which I think the Australian beer community would recognise as being uniquely Australian which is great yeah really well, well you have to tweak you know some beers or create beers once you do have a Melbourne bar for example that are we, a little bit more Melbourne well that's yeah that's a good point we um, we hope to build our ambition is to build very large uh, brew pubs um, what we'd call outposts okay. um, so if your listeners want to know what that is Google Brewdog Dublin, that's a good example. Um, and uh, there we always have pilot kits. And so there we would brew on the pilot kits unique beers just for that location. 
uh, which would go on tap. Okay. Um, experimental beers, which then the local brewmaster in that in that tap room can decide what they are. Um, but generally speaking, and we'll, is that an enthusiast? Um, like, is it a train brewer like Lindsay? You'll, you'll engage a team be a of train Lindsay's. That'll, or? Be, that'll be a train brewer. Probably someone at the start of their journey to a little bit. Okay. Give them a chance to kind of you know run a mini brewery almost. Yeah. Um, but someone like Lindsay would oversee the entire production because um, of his rich experience and, and knowledge. We'd have headliner beers coming out of here. Um, Lindsay would be brewing them and packing them in kegs coming out of our kids here. Um, and then you'd have one-off specials probably coming out of the local sites. Um, and that's the vision. Uh, obviously, it comes down to how big is the site, can you fit in pilot kits, all that sort of stuff, which is yep. beyond me. That's Calvin. He knows it inside out. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's the vision of it. And obviously, the uh, like overworks beers will still come. Um, will, yep. will there be a sour program here as well? No, there's or? no plans at the moment for sour program. Um, we we're taking it all all from uh, Scotland at the moment. Um, look, there's lots of things we think we're looking at. We I know we've, you've already mentioned it, but previously, but we're looking we're going to install a pasteurizer in the next six months to then do more alcohol-free beers. Um, we've had a lot of requests for nanny state. Um, well, that was the other because at the moment you are importing those because yes, you can't. Um, pasteurise them here. No, that's right. I mean, there is, in any state we could potentially brew without a pasteuriser. We're looking at that right now. Um, but the other beers we do because they're lactose in, yeah. in the beers, so um, which helps with body and and, and flavour. So um, we we look at that. We also got some things we need to do here, just in terms of the brewery itself, in terms of packaging and stuff like that. That's the priority one. And then beyond that, long term. And this is just me speaking. Um, I would love for us to look at potentially installing or opening our own Brewdog Distilling um, version okay. in Australia as well, within the brewery as well, because um, we, our spirits coming out of Scotland are fantastic, but really only found in the UK at the moment. Yep. And I'd love for us to have it almost like a full circle production facility here where we can you, you know, make spirits, put them in barrels, then use those barrels for maybe beer aging and, and, and kind of have a full circle in terms of um, production of beer using some of the stuff we get from the beer in the spirits and vice versa and you can get some really interesting things happening and I guess that's also important to the Brewdog story about being environmentally positive that if you you know you can offset we don't waste international yeah but, yeah but you can also offset beer being sent half or spirits yeah. being sent halfway yeah. around the world but and it's still better to understand make them locally, and, and you, can actually, you can actually when you look at the tap right now all the taps we've got it's it's more than half friends um, less so you've got 28 taps here and more than half of that currently is friends of Brewdog independent craft breweries who we love particularly in the Brisbane and South, South Queensland region, region. the reason it's such a high percentage is because we haven't quite yet started producing all the beers we want to produce here in Brisbane we're just starting that now so Linz is brewing about four or five different new beers to go on tap um, and that's the idea is we stop taking any beers from Ohio or Scotland and we do it all locally because um, why else would you have a brewery here if you don't <laughs> produce it locally and, and, uh, and put it on tap locally. So. And uh, how are you going? I, I believe you've also already ordered more tanks so you can sort of... Yeah. I mean, uh, the tanks we have at the moment um, will probably see us through for the next, I'd say, six to 12 months. And then towards the end of the year, we're looking to install new tanks depending on, I guess, performance over the next few months. We've had a lot of... It's been a challenging 12 months because of COVID. Um, basically, our plans have been set back a good kind of 12 months, I would say. Yeah. Um, and I think you talked to Calvin at a similar time last year to what we're talking. It would have been, actually, it was January. It was a much hotter January okay, day yeah. than uh, this time last and, year. And, and I, I listened back to that podcast. You know, I do my research, uh, Matt, and, um, and uh, he mentioned that, oh, you know, in March we'll have our cans going. And we only got cans happening in September, uh, October, because of the canning line. We couldn't get it commissioned because we need to get Chinese canning commission no line one knew what was six weeks around the corner that's the thing it, it all changed literally yeah. overnight um so not having that 
runway of last year has kind of meant that we've, we're back to square one in January this year as to what you're probably talking to Calvin uh, last year. So we lost a year basically, which is disappointing, but that's everyone's in a difficult position because of yep. COVID. So some more than others. So we feel fortunate that uh, the whole world of Brewdog is still relatively healthy despite a really turbulent last year and more than likely another very turbulent year this year, yeah. particularly in Europe. Yeah. And with the brew house, you know, with twenty four taps, you know, are you would you be able to provide enough variety with the the, the brew house? Because famously, you um, went down from a fifty hectolitre to twenty five yeah. to be more agile. Yeah, that was the idea. I mean, that that's, that was um, I think that was again a miscommunication back in the day. I mean, the size of the actual you know kettle um, doesn't really matter much. It's really how many tanks you have and the capacity yep. of those guys. So, the twenty five hectolitre kettle allows us to be more flexible in terms of what we do yeah. um, in terms of you know the number of beers but it doesn't mean we can't brew four times in a row lost lager yeah. and put those in tanks and then you've got 100 hectolitres huh? it doesn't mean we don't do that so it's really more starting off flexibility and, and my personal mission for, for the business here in Australia is to grow and invest as we grow so rather than kind of going massively heavy on investments and expansion expenses expansion, really step by step and, and grow the brand and grow our presence in an incremental way yep yeah and uh, I, I guess you've, you've got an equity for punks that's currently open. Yep. Um, I'm uh, hoping that I can speak to um, James or Martin yep. a, a, about that specifically from the from the business side. Yeah. But how has been the you know, community um, involvement in that? It, it seems to have been a little bit slow yeah, kicking off here. It's very similar to how I would say it's gone in, um, in America at the start as well. No one really understood who we were. And, and I would say, honestly, outside of craft beer, Brewdog is not very well known mm. in Australia, um, if we're really honest. And often, often you see that if, if we do second and third rounds, that's where you sort of get the more pick-up because people get to know who the brand is a little bit more and feel more engaged with the brand. So I'd say, look, we, we would have definitely expected to go faster and, yep. and, and I'd have hoped to have more investors, but you never know until you do it as yep. a brewdog. And we've done it and we're going to hit the 300000 we think, maybe next week. That's the minimum. Um, and then uh, beyond that, uh, obviously, we hope to go a bit higher but we're just really grateful that people see us as a business worth backing and getting involved with and because that community they're your most loyal um, people and they're, they're part of our family because they, they do we consult them on our forums and we yep. get their opinions and feedback we have our annual general mayhem every year which we want to do in Australia as well if COVID will allow it um, which is really all part of the, the building a community around the brewery which we need yeah Actually, and going back to that sense of community, when people come in and you see the cricket team and you see the people with dogs, do you think they're here because this is the local venue and it just happens to be a brew dog and happens to be a, a, a brewery, or are they here because they're craft beer? And, you know, what, what's your straw I, I, poll on the makeup that, my, of your... My estimation would be probably 75% of probably just local community coming in yeah. because it's a lovely place and good beers and good food and a good location. Um, and that's why we built it here, of course, because we get that benefit. Um, but we hoped over time to turn them into super fans yeah. as well. Um, and there are, of course, 25% who probably come in as craft beer fans who love Brewdog and want to try the friends of Brewdog as well because those taps are rotating all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think most where we are right now uh, in this location would be local community. Um, but a site, let's say for a site in the middle of Sydney or in, in Melbourne, probably would be a high percentage craft beer fans because you just have a higher percentage in a city yep. of people who may know Brewdog or travel to Europe and been to a Brewdog bar in Islington or something like that who want to go to have that experience here as well. How do you go for capacity? Because it's, I mean, I, given the size of the facility yep. Yep. completely, the hospitality side, you know, I, I would imagine that you fill out 
pretty quickly. On weekends, definitely. Yep. Um, evenings, uh, quite often as well. Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm relatively new to the retail side of things. We call our bars retail, just, just for reference. Um, and uh, Calvin runs all that much better than I ever could. So um, he's probably the man to ask. But in terms of capacity, most weekends we're at our limit, uh, which is why we already see the we need the need to expand yeah. uh, and uh, and offer a bigger. Um, well, actually, we, we, we sit right on the river, yeah. and you can't really see it. And, no. <laughs> and, and so it's like, why not actually build a terrace where you can actually look over, look over the river, which is shaded as well. So we feel like our prime real estate location is not being quite used as good as yeah. we could. So we're hopeful to change that in the next 12 months as well. And how much, because I, I know that you've got a lot of um, industry around here. And yeah. I, I'd imagine, and we're, we're just coming up to lunchtime, so I'm imagining we're going to get a lot of office people in for 100%, lunch. 100%, yeah. Um, so you see that, particularly before in the Christmas period, we saw a lot of Christmas parties here from local industry. So we get really supported by the local um, business community around here, probably primarily because we're the only really option around this, yeah. sort of, this little kind of area. Um, so... Uh, I'm not sure we expected that at the start. I, I wasn't involved in the initial kind of planning and thinking of Brewdog Australia, but um, but I can see my two months of being here now, I can see, okay, wow, we're really benefiting from the local community and, and maybe even the COVID testing centre across the road to a certain yeah. degree as well. Yeah. Well, ho- uh, hopefully before they yeah, come before, in. Yeah, before, yeah. Hopefully they've had the testing. hopefully they're going straight home yeah, after they've been ex- tested ex- to That's isolate. what we're all hopeful as well, which is why we have the COVID you know, checkpoint at the, at the opening uh, of, the, of, the, of the tap room. But yeah, hopefully they see Brudog and go, oh, I want to go there. So maybe there's a small benefit there as well. Uh, okay. So, and uh, what's your... Um, future with Brewdog. I mean, it's, it's always hard to ask an employee, you know. What, what, but you know, but what what is the the, the hope um, with Brewdog to stay in Australia now and grow with the brand? For me personally, yeah. I, I, I um, look as I said, we're on the we're on the, the the first square of the snakes and ladders board. I'd say, and I want to be a part of that journey as long as I can. Um, there's it has, I believe this brand has huge potential in Australia because it just uh, I think the the products the the bars. The ethos, the modern ethos that we have now, this maverick idea of positive doing good, um, fits so well to, um, I guess, the Australian kind of psyche of the younger generations especially. So I want to build something with, um, with Calvin and, and Lindsay and the team. I, I'm not someone who like, sees himself as like, you know, I'm going to do this. No, I want to create a team that is a really strong, experienced team that um, can be together and... Calvin smashes the retail side, the bar side. Yep. Lindsay smashes the beers, and and I'm the guy who just kind of makes sure everyone stays happy and stays <laughs> focused on the on, on going the same path. And and if we can do that, I'll be delighted to do it for as long as I can. To be honest, that's as good as anywhere to to finish. Yeah. Edmont, thank you very much for being on this conversation, and uh, thanks for hosting us at Brewdog. Absolute pleasure, Matt. Come back anytime. <laughs> And that was Ed Bott. And I should say that apart from thanking Ed, Ed was thrilled to receive one of our Yeti Rambler mugs exclusive for Beer as a Conversation guests. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cry Malt, who are back supporting us for another year of conversations. With over 25 years in the field, Cry Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are our premium podcasting partner. And Prior Malt was the proud sponsor of this conversation.